What's up? What's up? Every time I do that, I always think of that Ali Wong uh, stand-up, Baby Cobra, where she has this bit where she's saying, what's up? And every time I do it, I think that everyone's going to be like, oh, Ali Wong, but it's like, no. Anyway, um, I highly suggest that you watch that if you haven't already. It maybe came out like two or three or like four. 10 years i mean how long were we in 2020 like 15 years it was long 2020 was 15 years long so sometime before that 15 year span of 2020 was when it came out it's vintage <laughs> um thank you so much for tuning into this episode i'm so excited to talk to mazzy today um mazzy is living with gastroparesis which is partial stomach paralysis and what it causes is for stomach muscles to have weak contractions and that can result in food or liquid getting stuck in your stomach for a long amount of time which can cause nausea or vomiting or all the fun stuff above and to counteract those symptoms mazzy has a nj tube which is a feeding tube that's placed through her nose and bypasses her stomach so that her stomach is no longer involved in the digestion process. I was really drawn to Mazzy because of her posts and her descriptions of her disease to people like me who may or may not have any idea what gastroparesis is originally or what an NJ tube is. But by reading her posts, you get a little bit more insight into the technicalities and the explanations of what these things are and how they affect her life. And I think that because she's so clear and um, concise about these things, it was really cool to learn about them through her posts, but also learn about her experience with them. And so I just wanted to have her on the show to talk a little bit more about that and learn about her life. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of Mazzy living with gastroparesis. Let's be real. People love to gloss over chronic conditions or disabilities with a fleeting comment like, just be positive, or a fleeting insult like, kale will cure you. This is a podcast for when you face a different reality, knowing that positivity isn't a magic wand that's going to cure everything but a flashlight in the dark that we may or may not have batteries to. Living with a chronic illness or disability makes you feel different, and your difference could be noticeable to others or not, but either can sometimes make you feel invisible. I'm here to tell you that your experience is valid and shared by others in the dark. Positivity is not the missing puzzle piece that's going to solve your life's puzzle, but it can be a beautiful tool that can help you grow and sharing those experiences can make us grow together. How are you doing this week? I'm all right. Definitely moving pieces that need to be figured out in my medical things. What are you, are you like in between treatments? No, I don't keep anything down anymore. So I have to take transplant medications and I can't keep them down. So we're trying to figure out ways to get those in me without me throwing them back up that sucks i'm sorry to hear that it's okay we're figuring things out it won't be like this forever right exactly one vomit at a time i'm sorry that's yeah. like the worst oh especially when like you think that you're gonna not vomit and then all of a sudden you're like nope can't do it 
can't hold it down. Oh, it's all over me. No, no. <laughs> do you have something like near you at all times, or do you are you close yeah, to the bathroom? Yeah, like Emma's bags everywhere. <laughs> yeah, nice. Oh man, I'm sorry that that's your week, um, but it's, I feel like it's just like in the process. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I have hope. We will figure something out. Yeah, totally. And were you on a treatment before that was like going okay and then something happened or this has just been like a sort of trial and error period for a little bit now? This has sort of been a trial and error error period for a while now. Um, My gastroparesis symptoms were not this severe for a long time. So I was diagnosed in July um, through a gastric emptying study, but I wasn't throwing up at that point. um, ended up, I was on a tube in July and I've had a tube since then, but, um, my issues were more like early satiety and bloating and that kind of thing. But, um, I had like a really good week of eating orally in January. And then since that week, everything's sort of gone downhill and I can't keep anything down and it's only progressively gotten worse. So now we're talking like surgical tube and like other medication options and lots of moving parts jeez that one week of food right damn yeah it was fun (laughs) it's like feel great but it like tasted really good oh man what did you eat um what was my favorite thing i think like I don't, it was just like the freedom of being able to walk into the kitchen and like choose whatever I wanted to eat that day. So like my, I tended to stick with safe foods anyway. So like Jello used to be a really good safe food for me. So I was like all for the Jello that week and like maybe like a hard boiled egg or applesauce. And it's like foods that people aren't necessarily excited to eat, but it's like I'm feeling okay for a week for the first time in over a year. Oh and yeah. this is like the, the freedom that comes with it. I would have yeah. like half a sandwich and I was like, yes, half a sandwich. <laughs> oh man. But now, <laughs> so you get, um, so you get like nutrients through the tube that you have. Mm-hmm. They do like usually people think they're nasal um, gastric tubes. That's usually where they go. But with people with gastroparesis, if anything goes into their stomach, it usually doesn't stay there. So this goes past my stomach and feeds me into my small intestine so that I don't throw up what I'm fed. Wow. So it just completely yeah. bypasses your stomach. Yeah. Wow. Cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So then your stomach is sort of just like out of commission at this point. It's just like, I'm not processing anything. Mm-hmm. And still it's, you can't, you can't keep down water or anything like that. No, nope. I try to eat something every day anyways, just for the enjoyment of it. And um, if you, since your stomach is a muscle, if you don't use it, you will lose it. So like if I just stopped eating completely, I would lose more function. Mm-hmm. Um, so like every day I'll choose something to like sp- splurge on and then 
I'll just like pay for it afterwards. But it's like in the moment, it's super fun. And it's like one of the highlights of my day anyways. And like, yeah, you got to find the little things. Right, exactly. (laughs) This might be kind of gross, but is there anything that you are conscious of? Like it's going to taste worse after you throw it up. (laughs) For sure, yeah. Um, Stay away from coconut milk completely because that's so nasty. But like things like... (laughs) chocolate or like red jello or like oh what is uh applesauce is not too bad the second time (laughs) it's just yeah it's like um you learn the things that are like not as horrible coming up never see food never don't ever (laughs) never see food learn that one the hard way (laughs) except I knew that that was going to happen I knew it was going to be horrible and I just went for it anyways (laughs) yeah you just gotta do it (laughs) there was one time I had beet juice but I had forgotten that I had beet juice oh my gosh I was like what's wrong with me (laughs) horror it was really scary (laughs) so um you've been going through just your feeding tubes since June of 2020, but you've also had chronic illness since you were born, right? Um, I was diagnosed, I had my transplant at 22 months old and then wasn't diagnosed with autoimmune hepatitis until a year later or a year or two later, um, just because we could not figure out what the issue was. And then eventually I was, uh, I got all of my testing and my transplant done at Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego. And they actually transferred me to UCLA for that period of time because they just didn't, they ran out of tests to perform and things like that. So I was diagnosed with autoimmune hepatitis through UCLA. Um, And then like went through a period of relatively good health um, from probably five to 13 or 14. Um, And then started having like neurological symptoms and when I was 14 and we never figured those out. And then I was diagnosed with mast cell activation syndrome in 2018, um, Crohn's disease in 2019, gastroparesis 2020. So. Wow. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So when you were, when you first got the liver transplant, they were just, they just realized right away that something was wrong. Oh Pretty much. I was in the car with my mom. I was 22 months old. So this is all just what my mom's told me. But we were driving home from, I think, my aunt's house. And she was like looking in her rearview min- mirror in the car. And she saw that my the whites of my eyes were yellow, which is jaundice. It's a sign of liver disease. Um, and she didn't think it was going to be as bad as it actually was. But she was like, well, I might as well take her to urgent care and get her checked out. And um, when they like took one look at me and they would not treat me, they were like, nope, you have to take her straight to Children's Hospital. Um, we don't have the resources to treat her here. So I was like, they wouldn't even let us stop at home to get closed for the hospital. They were like, you need to go straight there right now. Um, so we got there um, and I was probably transplanted within like three-ish weeks. Um, my dad is my donor. So it was a pretty quick, um, like, a uh, matching process mm. but yeah um it was a pretty uh, urgent situation when we 
figured out what the issue, uh, figured out that it was liver disease. And then uh, it was a really rough period after the transplant too. It was like a lot of having issues getting the autoimmune hepatitis, which at the point we didn't know that's what it was under control. And um, they thought I was rejecting at one point, but I wasn't. That was just like inflammation that could not be contained. Wow. Wow. That's so insane that it was such a drastic ramping into, you know, your life. And how were your parents at this point? Like, how were they coping with the situation? Like, did they have their family around them at this time? Yeah. Um, we have always been really close friends with our neighbors up the street and across the street. Um, all of the families that are on our street were having kids at the same time. So like we're all in the same age group and we were all, they were like relying on each other through that period. Um, and that, I mean, I think when anyone has a sick child, I think the community just like wraps around them and like really lifts them up and which I think is really amazing. And it's crazy to see it happen, but it happens every single time. Like there's always people to fall back on. Yeah, no, there is. There's always people that are looking to reach out and help in any way that they can, even if you don't ask yeah. for it sometimes, which is so helpful. For sure. Yeah. Nice. I'm glad that you're in a great community like that. So when you were going through and you had um, semi-good health, did, were you in public school or were you in a schooling system at that time? Yeah, I went to public school. Um, my whole, my whole, uh, like all my schooling was public. I had, since my eczema was so bad in um, like the first couple years of elementary school, um, I was almost pulled out. I had a lot of like GI issues then, but it wasn't like um, as bad it is, as it is now. Um, people say that COVID is like horrible because it's like you have to be online for school, but they don't realize that like this um, resource is something that people who have different chronic illnesses have been like asking for and needing for years and the accommodation was never made and now everyone sees that it can be made and it's been so helpful for me because I got more sick after high school so I'm in college now and um, I don't think I would have been able to stay in school for as long as I have if I did not have the opportunity to do online school it's definitely given such a more accessible uh, way of learning for me. It's I'm taking five classes this semester and I would not be able to do that if it was required to be on campus. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that in, especially when you're in like high school or like younger grades, the teachers are so much less lenient on those things it's because of all the standardized testings. You know, college, mm -hmm. I feel like there's, you know, it's your experience. So if you can't make it, like, it's just unfortunate for yourself. But when you're in these like schools and they're doing the standardized testings, like I know people that got left back just because they weren't able to like get to the testing points, you know, and that's so unfair. Yeah. People don't expect kids to be sick, but there's so many kids who are sick. Right. That stinks. But I'm glad that you said that you're able to take classes now and, you know, take the time to dedicate to schooling and focusing on that. What are you going to school for? 
I'm majoring in psychology right now. I just, I'm in my last semester of school at um, San Diego City College, and then I'm trying to transfer to either SDSU or CSU San Marcos um, in the fall of 2021. And um, I'm working towards becoming a child life specialist because I had so many amazing child life specialists um, growing up, so. Nice. And what did they specifically, like, how did they influence the the kids? Um, their job is really to just um, give the child the information and the how, like, what the condition is or what procedure it's going to be in terms that they understand. So if a three-year-old comes in who has cancer, it's like explaining the process of getting a central line and, like, maybe showing them a doll and like what it's going to look like when they get it. Or even like with anesthesia, the, the people who like bring in the um, anesthesia mask before the procedure so that the patient knows what's going to happen and they're not as afraid of what's going on around them because it's like the treatment that they need and it's so new and it just helps them understand the process of everything. Nice. And that's really um amazing that you want to go into something like that and especially you said that you had a lot of people that you were really influenced by that were having helping you yeah I did not spend a whole ton of time in the hospital growing up I like aside from my transplant um so even just in the past year I've been admitted three times and like I was introduced to the beads of courage program through child life um I had someone from Child Life come in when they came and placed my pick line. I've had Child Life come in when they, I think when they placed my tube, like it just helps the process go so much smoother because it's preparing the patient for what's about to happen. And it's like these people I am able to go to not only to like learn about what I want to do in the future, but like if I need anything else from them, they're more than happy to help, even though like I'm not admitted I don't like need their specific care right now like if I needed a resource from them or a recommendation from them I could reach out and get those resources oh that's great I know it's it's so funny that like nurses and the people inside the hospital become like another lifeline for you as like a friend like I have a lot of nurse friends that I just I met in the hospital and I feel so supported by that I still like keep in contact with them (laughs) and I'm like she yeah, was my nurse. It's really <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's great. My nurses are my best friends. Like yeah. um my nurse practitioner, I have I will email her sometimes to not even talk about anything medical related. I'll be like, Oh, did you hear this new song that came out? And she's like, Oh my gosh, yes. And I'm like, this is the kind of relationship that I love. Like I feel so comfortable with you. Yeah. Oh, that's great. No, it's so important too, because like they see you at like all different points of your, your well being, And, you know, for mm-hmm. you to be sharing something positive with them is probably so enlightening for them as well. Yeah, for sure. So I think that that makes a lot of sense though, that you're going into child life. Specialist. Specialist. I mean, you, it, like in that in that sentence, it was it's just child life, yeah. But it's a child life specialist overall. 
Nice. And that makes sense because your posts are so informational about your gastroparesis and so specific about, you know, what it is that's going on that I think that that's really what I gravitated towards in your post is that you're explaining them in like layman's terms. So like, I don't understand a lot of what gastroparesis is, but after reading through your post, it was like, oh, okay. I see that an NJ tube is different than an NG tube. Yeah, that's definitely my goal when I post. Like, I know that not everyone is familiar with the medical field, but if I can make my posts more accessible and more understanding for the people around me, then it's easier for people to have that awareness and know, like, this is a thing. Like, um, if they come across people in their lifetime who have symptoms similar to me, they can be like, oh, like, I understand this to an extent. Like, maybe you should look into this. Like, that's the, my whole goal. Like if I can help someone else, then this was all worth it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's sort of what you brought to your YouTube channel too, right? Yeah. Um, I started it. I've always kind of talked about starting one and then I finally like bit the bullet and did it. And I don't post as frequently as I would like, but it's super fun. Like I love to just make the video and like have someone else understand it. I loved like teaching other people about my illnesses and spreading that awareness. That's awesome. That's so, so cool. Like I I know that whenever I am about to like deal with something new, I always go to YouTube as one of the first things. And I like do all my own research on it first to mentally prepare myself for what's about to happen. Seeing like the placement of an NJ tube. So like, I think in one of my videos, I recorded that process and like, I wasn't able to see that when I looked, but now if someone else looks, they can watch my video and see what the process is like. Because it it is, you're like so blind going into these things. And like, I go straight to Instagram too, just to like find people that are going through the same thing, but specific to like your tubes and stuff like that. I think that that's something that I don't see a lot of online. Yeah, I think there's a lot of like stigma around um, needing a feeding tube. I think a lot of times when people think of a feeding tube, they think of an eating disorder. And there's nothing like I don't have any like, I don't personally think there's anything wrong with someone who has like a mental illness or anything like that. Like, they're sick too. They also need treatment and help. It's just different. And there's definitely stigma around it. Um, Like, there's 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 definitely when you have GI issues and you do need a tube there's medical professionals who immediately think oh this is an eating disorder because they're not one they like they're not actually sick we can't find anything wrong with them it must be an eating disorder and that's one of the issues that I ran into with gastroparesis is I had to wait probably nine months for a gastric emptying study because COVID hit and insurance was a mess and by the time I actually got the study done, it was an emergency situation and I was inpatient. And before I had the test done, I was told that we were out of options. We don't know what's wrong with you. Like, we're just going to have to send you home because we can't, we don't know what else to do for you. And then like two days later, I got the test and it showed moderate gastroparesis. And we're like, wow. here it is. Like, this is the issue. Right. Oh my gosh. But from them like just totally pushing it off to an eating disorder like it how many tests do you think it took to get them to this like point I feel like I've had gastroparesis symptoms for probably over two years now but I 
um, had uh, high inflammation markers in my gut, so they went down that route first. Um, Crohn's or Crohn's is the one that causes the inflammation, whereas gastroparesis is just paralysis. Um, and sometimes gastroparesis can be caused by the inflammation, but in my case, it's not. But we found um, inflammation markers in my gut through fecal studies and uh, blood tests. And we did like a bunch of scopes first. I think I've had six scopes done maybe um, of like my, my uh, EGD and a colonoscopy. And I've had um, swallow studies. There's just so many. I, yeah. I've had like um, scans, um, MREs to look at the gut and like what the, the lining looks like and CTs and all wow. the things. Wow. And like, was it you that was pushing back on them when they were, uh, the doctors, when they were saying like, it's probably nothing, we can't find anything. Was it you and your family that was pushing back? Or did you have another um, nurse or a doctor that was like, no, we should keep doing tests? Um, I was diagnosed with Crohn's in September, 2019. And I kept having symptoms despite getting the new treatments for Crohn's disease. And so I didn't really expect the new Crohn's medication to be fixing the symptoms that I was having. That was just something like we did a scope and we found a couple ulcers and we were like, oh, Crohn's disease. Um, and so I think we just happened to come across the Crohn's disease diagnosis, which sort of threw us off the track for a bit. Um, I was still having symptoms and still losing weight going into um, like November and December. And then in January, I had an appointment with my IBD specialist. And we were like, yeah, let's probably like start looking into other things. And that's when she did order the gastric empty study. We had talked about it a couple times before, but I couldn't get insurance to approve it. And then COVID and then they gave me an appointment in June and that didn't work for some reason. And then I finally got a new appointment on August 4th or something like that. And I was admitted to the hospital on July 13th because I just could not make it that far. I was dehydrated. I was malnourished. My blood counts were plummeting. Like mm -hmm. I was in really bad shape and I definitely needed to be in the hospital when I was there. So like in a sense, it was sort of just me and my mom like pushing for something else, mostly me, I feel like I've become a very good advocate for myself over the years. But it was also sort of my IBD specialist, but then I would go through periods of like being able to eat more by mouth or less by mouth. So it was like, when I was eating less, I would lose weight and we would like look into things more. And then I would have like, a, like almost similar to a remission period, and I would be able to eat what I needed to eat in the day. And then we would like, sort of die down on the tr the tests that we were running and then like everything would spike up again so it was really just like waiting and asking for things to be done and just needing to wait some more to get those things done and yeah finding and seeking a diagnosis is not a fun process <laughs> no no way the wait the watch and wait period is just like grueling mm -hmm. because you come up with so many different things within your own mind at that point that you're like it could be this I'm taking note of this and like it's all of these things and like you're just going around in circles I feel like sometimes 
at least for me. Yeah, I think I suspected gastroparesis for a long time, and none of my other doctors were really like, oh, yeah, they were like, oh, yeah, like, it could be, but, like, it's probably not for a long time, and I, it's, like, the gastric emptying study, the wait list is really long, but it's a really easy test, and Mm -hmm. it's not super accurate, so my new specialist wants me to do more motility testing when we have the opportunity to, but like, it should not have been as hard as it was to get yeah. the answers we needed. So you have to go on a waiting list just to get a test? Yeah, it's um, a lot of patients are waiting for the test. So like, wow. the, the um, scheduling is so far out that you just mm. have to like wait for months and months for your time to be, it's like, my doctor originally told me it was going to be like two to four months until I could get the test and it ended up being nine. So like, wow, that's so nuts. That's a long watch and wait. Yeah. um, We were going to start when I started declining significantly around the end of June, beginning of July, she was um, talking about just starting a prokinetic. A prokinetic is one of the tre- the first treatments they use for gastroparesis. It basically just forces your gut to move. So she talked about starting me on that before I even got the test done, just because I was in such a dire situation. And then it ended up being um, uh, having to be admitted to the hospital because it was just not wow. not working. And when you're like experiencing symptoms um, at home, do you have any like home remedies that you go to first before you try to reach out to your doctors? Yeah, a lot of mine are like use the heating pad for pretty much all day or like maybe just have one day of just resting and like gut rest. So I don't I try not to eat anything at all that day. It's that one's hard for me because I do still love to eat, even though it doesn't ever end well like I love food and I've always been a foodie so like one of the first things that I'll do is I'll like cut back on what I've been trying to eat and see if that helps symptoms at all and then if it doesn't then it's usually time for me to reach out to someone anyways I'll usually see like my weight start to drop and then I know I need to reach out because we don't ever like to see that happen or I, diff- I diffuse essential oils, but I don't expect them to like help my situation. It's more of like a, a mind thing to like calm myself down. It's not necessarily to like make me feel better, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, for gastroparesis, I'll chew gum, um, usually mint gum because that helps with nausea more. Usually peppermint or spearmint are my go-tos um, or ginger chews. Those are good for nausea too. Um, the occasional uh cold water but i it's not super helpful for me but i've heard that it does help significantly for some people oh, that's good i always uh throw out cold water if i'm not feeling hot like it's just not, <laughs> it's not good for me <laughs> and sometimes especially if i have a fever and i'm like i just need like something cold i'll just like chug cold uh-huh. water sometimes just need <laughs> to come back up <laughs> like i'm just so thirsty yeah. uh-huh. it's like that all the time it's like, oh, I know it's not going to stay down, but I'm going to do it anyways. Right. right. <laughs> so the symptoms that you regularly face are just usually nausea and vomiting. Is there anything else, like any other sort of pains that you face 
Um, I get a lot of epigastric pain. So it's like the area right below your rib cage. Um, and like, uh, like between your belly button and your rib cage, that's where most of my pain is. Um, I'll get like intestinal pain. My, um, intestines filled in the area because I only got half of a liver when I had my transplant so my intestines have filled in that area so I'll feel pain in that area of my body it was crazy when we found that out we were doing an ultrasound for my liver and she was like I think this is intestine right here I don't think this is your liver I was like what that's nuts I love that stuff yeah the body just like forms its own like thing it is yeah being that's great well it's not great because it hurts yeah that's the pretty much the extent of my like pains though um yeah like nausea vomiting bloating is like one of the big ones as well Mm. so Um, how is that like on your your mental health because you're in flux in weight loss and gain. And I've experienced some of that with like cancer and being on different treatments. And it's definitely hard, especially being a woman and being, you know, growing up. I mean, I was 22. So I was very, you know, it's still a very vulnerable time. And how do you, do you feel about that? Um, I have my, I, if I'm like bloated or like, um, and at like a healthier spot, I have different clothes that I wear during that time. And then different clothes I wear when I'm more underweight and more sick. Um, and it's more about like keeping those two different wardrobes separate because I know that it's okay to be in either one and we will get back to the more healthy one. And the goal is always to be in the more healthy wardrobe, but like there is the occasional like dip back down to the other one. And it's, it's kind of like keeping the separation for me is what helps. But like, even like on days that I'm more bloated, it's like, okay, just like wear your sweatpants. Don't even try putting on jeans today. Like, you know, if you're going to put jeans on, you're just going to feel like shit mentally. So like, just don't even, don't even try to cross that bridge. You don't want to get to it. Um, yeah. It's, it's like, uh, pre-preparing myself I guess for like what my body is for the day and it's like also being okay with where it is at that point in time like just having that acceptance I'm like yeah I'm really sick today and like feeling real like I think I'm pretty thin today so I'll like wear this wardrobe but it's okay because I know that we're gonna find something else that's gonna work or we're gonna like increase this um, part of the feeds that like increases the caloric intake and I'll get back to where I need to be like keeping the hope that it won't be like that forever right it's gonna suss itself out yeah where so on your daily when you're having really good days like what do you mostly find that you fill your days with um I love to do art I've posted some of my art on my Instagram. I love to, I'm, my thing is portraits or Bible journaling, but mostly portraits right now. Um, or I, I know I'm not supposed to as much, but going to the store is one of the things that like 
I love to do it. I like grocery store, regular store, just get me out of the house and take me to the store. It's like one of the little things that most people hate doing, but it's like, it's one of the only ways that it's like not super energy draining while also being like getting out of the house and like not sitting in the same place day after day. Um, we've gone, we've taken a couple trips to like Julian and walked around a couple of the downtown stores down there. And that's one of my favorite things to do. That's one of the things that my mom and I will do when I feel like I'm like struggling with a new diagnosis or like processing hospital things. We'll take a trip to Julian and it's like, there's a vintage, um, thrift shop up there called the barn. And we loved it. Like I got my necklace from there and some of my bracelets, um, it's just like super fun to do every single time. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love thrifting. That's like my favorite, like finding all these yeah. treasures, you know, it, it is like finding little treasures. It's like, I feel like we get so much taken away from us growing up with medical things. And it's like, you appreciate the, like the little things more when yeah. you've had the big things taken from you and you're like, Oh, my health is really bad, but you know what? This bracelet looks really cute and I'm going to buy it. Like, yeah. It's yes. a reward. Yes. For hunting, for my beauty, my bracelet. Yes. <laughs> no, I feel you. No, that's great. Um, well, I love your art too. I think that that's really cool. And I love your journaling. I think that that's also something really cool that you do. And Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, so when you're going through and you're doing these things, is there, is there a point in which you feel like you completely like lose hope and you're just like, I can't see the other side of this. Like I just get into a rut or, you know, have you felt that, you know, you just couldn't get out of it at one point? Um, I wouldn't say like completely lose hope, but one of like the lowest points was when there's been a couple actually, um, in the past year, one of them being like before, right before they had the tent, the gastric emptying study done. And they were like, there's nothing else we can do for you. We can't find anything wrong. And it's like, but I know for a fact, there's something wrong and I need help. And I, I can't get that help myself. I need you to help me. And you guys are giving up on me. So it's like that frustration. Um, there was another time where they, I was not tolerating my feeds and they could not figure out why. And we still don't know why, but it's still uncomfortable. But they sent me to the medical behavioral unit at Rady Children's Hospital. And that's where they send patients who are recovering from eating disorders and need mental health help. And I don't need mental health help. And they were trying to tell me that I had avoided restrictive food intake disorder because I wasn't afraid of gaining weight but I was afraid of the food and the way it, way it made me feel and it was like no I am eating in front of you I feel really sick like yeah. my issue is not what you're telling me my issue is you need to believe me and like not put me in this category where you're not going to help me with my physical issue yeah and that's so good that you're able to decipher that and like explain those things because a lot of people, you know, 
doctors are really good at deciding, you know, what course of treatment you need to go on. But at the same time, it's like you're your best advocate and like you know exactly what's going on. So for you to find that voice in yourself and like share that with the people that are trying to tell you something totally different is so important. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really difficult to be a teenager with chronic illness. And even I think it's not going to get a whole ton easier as I keep growing up because people don't really think about sicknesses that come and don't go. Like when people think sick, they think like the flu or the stomach bug, or they think about cancer. A lot of times cancer does go away. A lot of times it doesn't. But they don't think about the people who have like chronic GI issues or chronic pain. And it's just something like the chronic illness or disability uh, minority is one that you don't ever think about, but you could be a part of at any point. Like anyone could get a chronic illness at any point in their life. And then as soon as you're in that minority, you understand the like misrepresentation and like the, just the hardships that come with it. The You expect doctors to know all the answers and they just don't, like they really just don't have all that information. Right. They just go by, you know, what studies are, are out and what, you know, they've seen in the past by backed by medical um, advice, but everybody is different and every mm-hmm. reaction to a drug is different. And so being your advocate for yourself is the best thing that you can do. And like your research through gastroparesis, like you knowing that you might've had gastroparesis two years ago, I would have never, like, <laughs> I would have just been like following the doctor, you know? <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, you say it's this. Sure, it's my Crohn's, you know, whatever. But for you to have that insight and that, um, you know, resourcefulness to research more is so needed. I think I can attribute it more to, like, finding a platform on social media. Like, having that platform, I was able to find other people who also have chronic illness. And then I came across... um, I guess it's like the EDS crew and I don't have EDS, but gastroparesis is a very prominent um, comorbidity with people who have EDS. And I found that a lot of my symptoms aligned with their symptoms. And it was like, if I had not made my chronic illness account on Instagram, I would not have found this when I did. And sure it took for like another two years to like get the actual answer, but having that little glimmer of like we haven't actually crossed this off the list yet and I do feel like I like fit in this category was like giving me hope to like keep pushing for the next test and the next like possibility and the next like set of blood work or whatever it was that was maybe not like the medication that wasn't working like well we're not fixing the issue that we haven't crossed off the list yet. So there's other things that we haven't looked at that we need to be looking into. Wow. That's so cool. And that's so cool that you're sharing that. That's like, 
one of the reasons too why it's so important to be open in this community because it's just not something that should be shied away from talking about these sort of things because it is it's it can help so many people in deciding and like finding new things that um that you're experiencing you know that you could seek help for so that's really great yeah throughout all of your experience throughout your life um do you find that you can still be positive while living with chronic illness? For sure. I mean, it seems like such a hard life to live from an outside perspective, but I mean, and it is definitely difficult, but this is also just my life. Like I have to find things that make me happy and I have to find things that bring me joy and like, I'm sick, but I'm still alive. Like it's not the end. And I have hope that I won't be this sick one day and I can't put my life on hold to just deal with this. And a lot of times it does come to that, but like it doesn't keep you from finding the joys in life. Uh, It's important to find those to like give you the motivation to keep going, to get back to those really good days and to like, right now I'm still going to school so that when I, feel better I can have a job like it's it's hard and it's difficult and it sucks but it's not the end and you have to keep put keep moving forward totally totally I really relate to that too and I think that a lot of people will and just thank you so much for talking to me and sharing your experience with me I think that it was so of course yeah it's been so fun Yeah, no, it really has. I love just like connecting with you and like learning more about like everything that you've been going through. I'm sorry that you're going through like a turbulent time with your medications and everything. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a season. It'll pass. Yeah, yeah. And I hope that they can find something soon so you can get back to eating. Yeah, Yeah. I hope so too. (laughs) and uh stay away from beet juice for for real (laughs) for sure for sure my dad loves beets really you actually have beets and i'm like no thank you i'm good (laughs) all right all right thank you so much friends thanks for listening in to another episode of still positive talking to mazzy about living with chronic gastroparesis i'm so appreciative to mazzy for jumping on and sharing her experience with us i think that it's not always easy living with a chronic illness and having to do anything else other than live with a chronic illness so i'm so appreciative of your time and your energy and your experience with us Make sure to check back next week for another episode of Still Positive. Make sure to follow Mazzy on YouTube and Instagram, linked in the show notes below. And if you want to just like, subscribe, review, those things don't roll off the tongue for me yet. So like, just you know what to do if you want to follow us on the interweb. I'd greatly appreciate it. And yeah, stay up on Still Positive, all right? Stay safe.